0: Welcome to episode 62. Today, Dr. Andrew Hugginsfeld will share strategies from her book called Growing Language and Literacy, Strategies for English Learners. Welcome to the Empowering Elves podcast. I'm Tan Nguyen, and the goal of this podcast is to serve language learners just like me and to empower passionate teachers just like you. Your beautiful smile When I was a language specialist, I had the privilege of watching colleagues teach. I got to see how they manage students' behavior, how they transitioned through activities, and how they facilitated learning experiences. Andrea's growing Language and Literacy book provides us with the same experience. We get to walk through teachers' classrooms as they show us the strategies they use with students in various stages of language proficiency. The part that I want to highlight is the part when we talk about the five principles of language development. These principles form the foundation for acquiring and expanding students' language skills. Now, on to today's podcast. Back with us for the fourth time is our most visited guest, Dr. Andrea Hongesfeld. You've been back for so many things, such as working with technology, working with co-teaching, co-planning. You've, worked, you've, you've produced another uh, it, a, a podcast interview where you talked about not, not coming back to normal. And now I am having you back to talk about growth, your uh, growing language and literacy book. The reason why is because I was working with uh, an elementary school in Bangkok and I consult with them. And I came home and I was thinking, oh, you know what? I need to tell them to get this book. If, if they can get it, it'd be great. And they said, we're already ordering two. And I said, and then she re- and it came and she took a picture. And then she said, where was this book when I was teaching in the classroom? Because she's, she's a principal at the school. And she's like, if I had this book, it would have made just, made so much sense theory plus practice and I was like yes I think that's a sign for me to come ask you to to come on the podcast again and I send it to you and you were like yes I'd love to be on the podcast so welcome back and I'm very honored. Andrew.
1: Thank you so much Tan the honor is all mine and it's such a pleasure to speak with you and stay connected with you professionally and personally And especially the fact that you asked me to talk about growing language and literacy strategies for English learners, which is a Heinemann publication. I'm very, very excited to talk about this book. It's a true labor of love. And um, I I can't wait to hear your questions.
0: Would you tell us about the motivation or the seed that, that started this book?
1: This book was actually an invited publication. I already had two other books With Heinemann. And my absolutely amazing editor, Holly Kim Price, came to me one day, emailed me, then we had a follow up phone call. And she said that Heinemann has been conducting focus group discussions around the United States. And classroom teachers are asking for an accessible book that would explain to them the differences among the language proficiency levels yes, and yes. how to best respond to students needs on the five levels of English language proficiency. And my immediate response was, oh, but there are lots of books like that already out there. And she said, no, there aren't any. And then I paused and I looked around and I realized that she was right. Okay. And but I said, oh, but how about the WIDA indicators and they can-do uh, documents such as so many amazing publications that teachers can refer to and holly agreed she said certainly there are resources out there yes but the vision that heinemann had was that i would receive a contract with a hundred full-color illustrations that we could really not just tell teachers what to do but show them And she had me at hello, but she also had me when she said 100 full-color illustrations, because I could not even imagine what a beautiful final product it could be when um, educators around the United States and beyond could help me put this book together by sharing authentic photographs from their classrooms and telling their success stories. So that's the beginning of the of the creation of this book. It goes back to a wonderful invitation from Heinemann, the literacy publisher.
0: Well, we're so grateful that Heinemann did in, uh, invite you to write it because this book has been waiting for you to write it. And the way you've written it is, the way you outlined it and organized it is that almost every three page there, every other three pages, there is a picture from a, from, taken from a teacher somewhere around the world, a lot from the US, a lot from Canada, just showing their actual documents that they're using with their kids, their actual posters, their actual sticky notes, their actual drawings of their boards, their actual documents that they are doing in the class. It was like you taking us on a tour around the world and saying, hey, let's go to class with Katie from Portland. Let's go to class with Michelle in Canada. Let's go to visit Emily's class. And it was like, it was like, tw- it was like an introduction to Twitter for people who are not familiar with Twitter. But it was also like the ability to sit and observe instruction. And the way you did it was beautiful. And the, the colors just really flowed out in the organization, all the bullet points. It was. I think the, my friend who said, where was this book when I was in classes, and when I was teaching? I, and it, her comment resonated with me because there are books that are theory-based, but your book combines both theory and practical application, right? And so it was easily like kids, she could have easily flipped through a, 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 the chapter for beginners or the, you, you call it starting level. And she could look at, okay, what, what can we do for reading? What can we do for writing? And, you, and there were actual examples from teachers doing that. And then she would have another kid who is at the bridging level. Okay, so what do we do with that kid? And you would have full photo examples. And we're like, yes, it was bringing theory to life in the, in the IB, we call that uh, from, from principles uh, to practice. And you showed us what the principles look like in practice with that book and it was beautifully done.
1: Well, thank you so much. I, in fact, asked Holly, why me? <laughs> I was both flattered and surprised that she would reach out to me since much of my work is collaborative and much of my work is about collaboration and co-teaching, as you mentioned earlier, content and language integration. And the uh, very interesting answer that she gave me is truly connected to what you just said. She said that Heinemann perceived me as a scholar practitioner, Yes. somebody has uh, who has um, you know, connections both to theory and a solid theoretical framework for what we're doing here, research and evidence-based practices, as well as access to classrooms. Because as you mentioned, many of those names, Katie and Michelle and um, and Emily and t- so many educators from Idaho and North Carolina and New York State and beyond. So I have a lot of connections, professional connections around the United States, whose work I support as well as admire. So I wanted to create a book in which we could showcase best practices and truly celebrate the successes of both the students and their teachers. So that's what this book allowed me to have a platform for. And I'm very, very grateful for that. And as you said, yes, in fact, I do have a theoretical framework for the book. And that is five premises that I pract- that I uh, present in chapter one. And they're similar to the WIDA theoretical construct as well as many other publications that begin with establishing a solid frame of reference where these strategies come from. They're not just a random collection of tips and tricks, but very carefully um, collated or combined uh, resource of what is out there that we really have to consider when we when we work with this population.
0: You started off by saying, um, why me, Holly? And, and then my immediate response was, why not you, Andrea? <laughs> and so, would you tell us about those five theoretical concepts?
1: Sure. So the first one, which is a wonderful place to begin, is establishing an assets-based philosophy. We have to take a look at our students, through the lens of what they have, what they can do, rather than taking upon any kind of a deficit-based approach. So assets-based philosophy, followed by, again, a student-centered approach to working with English learners, multilingual learners, acknowledging individual variations. Even though the five chapters will be on the five levels of language proficiency, we must recognize that within each language proficiency level, there will be tons of tons of individual differences and variations. The third premise or um, theoretical framework is focused on integrating content, language and literacy development. We cannot really teach core content anywhere from kindergarten to high school or college and beyond without considering the language and literacy demands or better yet opportunities that the core content curriculum and our pedagogy will allow for. The next premise is culturally and linguistically sustaining instructional and assessment practices. Now that is a mouthful, but it's really important to consider that our students come with rich linguistic and cultural backgrounds and assets again. And we need to build on that and sustain and embrace what cultural and linguistic strengths the students already have. And finally, purposeful interaction and collaboration, recognizing that language acquisition and language development uh, truly is a sociocultural construct that we don't learn language and literacy in isolation. We need to interact with each other, with varied materials, with our teachers, with our professors, and also our teachers and instructors and administrators. We all need to collaborate with families, And community members and each other to help all our English learners develop linguistically and academically.
0: That's why I really appreciated that first chapter when you have underpinned everything. After when we read the different phases and the strategies for the different phases, everything that you recommend goes back to those five, uh, those five underpinnings, those five framework, the the framework. Like starting with asset-based philosophy of saying like, what kids can do, what we can do. And then I'm really interested um, now in light of the protests about linguistically sustaining culture. Would you talk about that? Sure.
1: Rather than thinking that uh, our goal is to learn English, to teach English and then to learn English and replace our mother tongues or native languages. The goal is to maintain both. Right. The the native language, the mother tongue, must be considered an important part of one's identity, an important part of what we grow up with, what we cherish. I often consider the mother tongue or native language is the language of love, the language of our first explorations, also the language of um, family. So we cannot, we must not allow that to fall by the wayside. Even though you might not be fluent in any other language except English, not everybody has the privilege to be multilingual. We still need to recognize that our children are bilingual, multilingual, bidialectal. They have rich linguistic resources at their um, disposal and we must maintain them and encourage parents. So how does that translate into practice? So literacy is literacy. Rather than encouraging the parents to speak English or practice English with your child, we could certainly encourage the parents to read aloud to your child. Read, go on a a walk, go and talk to your children about what they see in nature or go on a field trip, visit museums, um, watch a movie together and then talk about the characters, talk about the surprising plot in the movie. So literacy is literacy, um, oracy is oracy we have to allow and embrace um, multilingual development within our school constructs.
0: I was just working uh, with the school that I was talking to you about, the elementary school in Bangkok, and I had a survey out and a lot of the teachers and the parents said, how can we get our kids to speak more English? And I was like, "Mm, okay, that's going to be something I'm going to have to address. And then the whole workshop was basically saying like, you're really privileged to, to be in a position where you can send your kid to an international school and they have Thai language. So our goal is to change your uh, uh, mindset of English first to saying multilingual. How can we both sustain Thai and also language, English development? And the main concept that I talked about was um, because they pushed back and they said, well, how are they gonna learn English if they don't practice English? And I said, I think there's, uh, I think o- Ophelia García said that there's only one language system and there's only one language and the language is communication. So when someone is trying to communicate in Thai, they're using the same concepts of nouns, verbs. Uh, they're, when they're reading a, a book in Thai, they have their characters. And the character, their characters are placed in settings and the characters have problems. When we when parents read their to their kids in Thai, they then they when the kids go to school, they have the concept of characters. They have the concept of settings. They have the concept of theme already. And when I explain uh, when I explained that when you're using Thai at home, you're developing a language muscle that allows teachers to develop their English level uh, language as well. And they were like, oh, I get it, we get it. And I had a metaphor of like different dumbbells out and the different sizes. There's like the kettle dumbbell and then there's the pink one, the small one. And then there's like the really big uh, barbell, right? The, the, the bench press. And I said, though they look different or they're different languages, they all do the same thing. They develop the language of the muscle of language, the, langu- uh, the language of communication. And they're like, oh, okay, we get it now. So that's-, that's beautiful. Thank you. I
1: love that metaphor. It reminds me of Margot Gottlieb's book of language power. That is really empowering. Rather than thinking about that, you have to give up your native tongue or if you speak multiple languages, one is more privileged than the other. Instead, recognizing that all the languages, all the linguistic resources we have should be strengthened, acknowledged, and then strengthened and used.
0: Right. Right. We're moving away from uh, subtractive uh, approach to, to instruction to an additive approach. And that that's something that I, when I first went into this field, I said, what, wh- why can't we make them speak English all the time? Like, oh, that was subtractive. And so I continue to share your message, Andrea, and that of um, Margot Gottlieb, of course. Which of the, so how did you get all of the beautiful examples from the book, for the book?
1: Well, there were different ways that I have done it. I certainly use social media to put out a couple of messages that I'm working on this book and I would love to see your examples. And there were also some um, educators with whom I've had long standing relationships such as uh, Glenda Harrell, who is the um, ESL director in, um, Wake County Public Schools in North Carolina. And I reached out to other educators and asked them, would you share with me what you are doing? And then we set up Google folders and I received hundreds, if not thousands of examples. I was totally floored, somewhat overwhelmed, both by the, the rich, beautiful examples and exemplars that were sent to me, as well as the willingness to collaborate and to share The complicated part of this process of course is both selecting examples that were well fitting with the text. So if I talk about let's say graphic organizers and thinking maps, I'm gonna need some good examples across the grade levels. So K8 is a big span of uh, grade levels and context. So to be able to well represent multiple grade levels was a challenge. So I wanted to be very mindful of presenting a balanced approach to examples. So if we have too many early childhood examples, it's very hard to relate to those if you're a seventh or eighth grade teacher and vice versa. So that was one selection criteria. And another one is to make sure that we have all the proper documentation. It's really, that took several months to ensure that every single piece of student uh, work artifact Is well documented. All parents sign up, all teachers or administrators sign up on these examples to be included in the book.
0: Well, that's why that book is particularly special. It's just going back to our conversation at the beginning. It just makes it so practical of saying like, okay, I understand that you want kids to uh, have content language and literacy together. What does that look like? Oh, here on this page, this is what it looks like. When are you going to have a grade 9 to 12 version?
1: Well, that's an excellent question. And I pitched that idea to Heinemann, actually. But I think under the COVID conditions, there are so many priorities. What kind of books need to be published urgently? And this might be on the back burner for them. But I hope that one day um, there could be a book like that. I think there would be uh, an interest in a 9-12, a secondary version of um, a book that explains language development with concrete examples.
0: I think we're waiting for you to write that book.
1: Thank you. And going back to the images, the pictures, the examples, student work samples, teacher um, artifacts, what Holly told me at the onset of this project is something that I never forgot. She told me, I want to smell the classroom on every page. And it was such a strong uh, image for me that I could not forget it, that if you flip through the book and you said every three pages, I think it's literally every other page, there is either an example or maybe a photograph every three pages. But in the end, there are actually 125 illustrations, not a hundred and, not a hundred. I was afraid she would remove a few, but she did not. She saw the value right. as you do of allowing the readers to see it, to believe it, that right. these are all authentic examples rather than I could have been sitting there in front of a chart paper and keep churning out chart papers and charts and examples. But what it really gives the reader is a glimpse into so many classrooms.
0: Right. Right. I think that's what, when, the, when I opened the book, I immediately was like, oh, this is the jennifer Seravello version for language learners multilinguals, and i was like oh, this is beautiful are you familiar with the jennifer yeah sure and, I was like, and,
1: and she's a heinemann author too yeah. so heinemann has this vision and mission to make sure that the books are truly accessible that they put out so yeah she's a fellow heinemann author
0: and when when i opened it i was like this is your that, your version of that and i was like and, and we could really smell the classroom in that and i think the fact that you made it so accessible for teachers. I think teachers can say, oh, I see this teacher doing it this way. I can make that happen. Oh, there's a poster of the word photosynthesis in multiple languages. Oh, I think I could do that too. And I think that's why it was so powerful. And I think that's why my friend said, where was this book when I was in the classroom? Is because we can see the principles in practice and we can apply them immediately. Of all the strategies that you share in the book, is there one that you feel like has been um, underrepresented or not loved as much that you wanna bring more to the spotlight?
1: Oh, wow, what a good question. I really love that. Um, I have to think about that for a moment. And I think one that I truly appreciate and those of you who have the book it might have jumped off the page for you as much as it jumped off the page for me. I actually love this so much I featured it twice. There's almost no strategy that is repeated in different chapters except for this one. So maybe it would qualify for what is um, a strategy that I love so much and maybe it's underrepresented. So on pages 32 and 85, in both places, I have student self portraits made out of this descriptive sentences and adjectives.
0: Oh yes, I remember that. And the teacher who used this
1: example or this strategy from North Carolina invited students on every proficiency level to use any language or dialect that's at their um, fingertips. And the children turned their own self portraits into this beautiful image of themselves by using words and sentences written in multiple languages about themselves. So why would it be a good strategy or a less commonly used strategy? I think what it does is allows for multilingual and multimodal representations of the self and celebrating the student exactly where he or she is, right? Starting with where the student is Mm -hmm. and building upon what they can do rather than a worksheet, rather than, okay, here's a grammar exercise. It's tapping into the rich linguistic um, repertoire that the children have. And if you look really, really close, you could see the different languages the very powerful reflective uh, words, adjectives, and sentences, and even a story that one of the portraits is framed by that explains where this child is at this current moment. So I think I would invite every teacher to do portraiture. We certainly have student Profiles, maybe I don't necessarily like the word profile because we don't wanna profile anybody, but portrait might be a better word. So to create a student portrait, which allows the children to tell about themselves and maybe include a photograph as well and some stories, some strengths and examples of special talents and hobbies. And that's something that we could keep adding to and pass from one classroom to the next. However, this version of portraiture puts the pen completely, or pen or pencil or crayon and marker completely in the hands of the child and invites them also to express themselves in an artistic way in addition to in a linguistic way.
0: Often we have kids' files move up with us and we click on a document or we get a physical file and we see what adults have said about them. But rarely do we really see what kids say about who they are. And when you talked about that strategy, and I just opened up to it within the book, and I was like, this is a great way to start the year, like an SEL way, a a social emotional learning way, to start the year, to see what kids are gonna say about themselves. And so, so, so I would model this myself. So I would make one for myself and use my multiple languages. And then I would have kids do one at the beginning. And then at the end of the year, I would have them say, now that you've progressed this whole year, what 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 are you gonna say about yourself now based upon uh, what you've done this year? And then I would show it to them uh, side by side and say, look how much you've grown. Look, look at, in your own words, how you think you've developed through this year.
1: That's a beautiful idea to translate that. That's what I love about conversations with you, that you're always extending any idea to the next level. You're expanding, you're bringing whatever Anybody else published out there into the classroom translating into something that's even more enriching for the students. So uh, thank you. I love I, that idea. Bring this strategy back at the end of the year.
0: Well, I think I stand on your your shoulders and everything that I'm doing. There's always a thread that goes back to your work and Andrea, uh, to Maria's work.
1: Well, I think it's all about collaboration. I look to your blogs, I look to your tweets all the time, and and you have shared so much, so generously. So I think the admiration is mutual.
0: Speaking of thread, let's end with this question. Um, What is the thread that uh, goes through all of these chapters? Do you think?
1: Celebration. Let's celebrate what the students can do. Let's celebrate the extremely hard work of teachers this, this is a near miracle of what um, teachers of English learners, multilingual learners right. do every day right. as we support and help our students to grow their language and literacy. That's where the title comes as well. And those of you who have seen the book, the beautiful metaphor of the plants growing, we plant the seed, mm-hmm. and then we have this beautiful plant emerging.
0: I think the thread that when I was reading this, I was thinking now that I'm a content teacher, if I was to look at this book from a content user's perspective, I can say, I could do this. Oh, I can use word banks. Oh, I can have kids using their home language. Oh yeah, I could do that, have uh, more group work in this structured group work. Oh yeah, I could find ways to do that. And so I think that is one of the threads that I was thinking. As you started off with uh, acid based philosophy, which is one of your uh, core five pillars, and I think it's uh, that goes throughout, like, yes, what can, what can students do and what can you do? And there's a lot of things that, that teachers can do. Let's, Absolutely. Let's Absolutely. end the podcast with, uh, instead of the traffic lights, which you are now very familiar with, um, we, we have now a, a new game. It's called the chairs. You have a chair for teachers. Uh, like for like, so uh, language language specialists, you have a chair for content teachers, and you have a chair for principals. And what would you say to each of those people in the different chairs based upon this book?
1: Very good question. Again, so let me start with the um, specialist, the language specialist. Um, your role of being an advocate is more important than ever before. Mm, yes, you have to continue with the charge of amplifying our students' voices, representing the diverse community that we serve and um, speaking up when we we have to on behalf of this population. The content teacher, I would tell them, you can do it. Yes. You can do it. You use language all the time. You can teach math, science, social studies. You're already a teacher of language. You might not be a language educator, but you're definitely an expert, not just a teacher of your the language of your own discipline, but you're an expert on that. How to use precise academic language in mathematics when we describe a fraction, or how to write a social studies essay using authentic documents from the uh, 19th century. You're already an expert on how to use language and literacy within your own content area. And build on that expertise that you have. And don't be afraid of English learners. Right. And for administrators is um, my advice or my way approaching administrators is leadership is critical. Yes. Leading by example, mm-hmm. continuing to learn about serving English learners or multilingual learners is really important. Your teachers will be watching you.
0: Yes.
1: If you think that this population is valued, if you think that these kids bring assets to your school, they will follow along. Right. Right. If they see that these kids are problems or challenges, or if you happen to highlight their deficits, what they right. cannot do yet, The teachers will pick up on that. So continue to learn and continue to embrace that this population brings tremendous value to your schools.
0: It's all about culture setting. Yes. Uh, You know, as I was listening to you, every time I, I talk to you, I'm always like, I feel like I'm a better person. I feel like I'm a better teacher. We need you to have your own podcast because as much as I love you to be on my podcast all the time, I'm like, I just need more Andrea in my life. And I think people would need more of you as well, you and Maria, and so consider it. I know that you are a book factory.
1: No. (laughs) I would love
0: to be a podcast one as well.
1: That's very, very generous of you to say. And um, maybe I can hyperlink to your podcast, a YouTube playlist that Coloring Colorado just put together about me mm-hmm. and Maria. So that would be really nice to just see. I've done quite a bit, but they are, as you said, all over the place. I appear on other people's podcasts okay. or do um, webinars and recordings, but I don't have at this point the time to run my own podcast series. Maybe one day.
0: One day. Consider a seed planted
1: yes yes maybe i have to grow that too <laughs>
0: uh-huh. okay well thank you andrea for again uh i consider you one of my teachers that have like changed the way that i think about my work for example like jana chevardia was one of the people who said like yes language learners can be multilinguals can be in content classes and then when i got your work in my you were like yes don't just pull kids out when they're in their content classes be there with them and don't just sit behind the kid don't just stand behind in the back wall you could be up there with the other teachers and I was like oh yeah you can that's right and so you are one of the big fives in my uh, teaching experience and so I'm a better teacher because of you. And I know that many, many listeners and readers uh, as well. So we wish you years of health so you can produce more, more stuff for us.
1: Well, thank you so much again for inviting me and I'm looking forward to our continued collaboration.
0: Thank you. I invite you to rate this podcast and leave a comment. Each episode takes three to four hours to record and edit. So your comments make all the hours worth it and your reviews will help educators like you find the podcast now onto our recap though we only talked about one strategy we did get to talk a lot about the five principles from which all of the strategies spring forth I'm sure that Andrea had more strategies than she can fit into this book but as long as you have these five principles You'll be able to grow students' languages and their literacy skills. The principles once again are one, asset-based mindset, two, honoring students' language development variants, three, integrating language literacy and content, four, having culturally sustaining practices, and five, purposeful collaboration. I still remember opening this book for the first time. It felt like I was transported to all these teachers' classrooms. You will love this book. I wish I had this book in my hands the first day I started teaching as a language specialist. In the next episode, we'll have Dr. Esther DeJohn join us to share the foundational principles of multilingual education. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon, be safe, and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.